The Faculty Futures Lab is a project of the SDSU Initiative for Inclusive Leadership, a faculty-led effort to grow capacity to lead within institutions of higher education in complex and uncertain times. Funded by the President's Budget Advisory Committee. Learn more at fa.sdsu.edu. All guests speak from their own expertise and experience, not for San Diego State University. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Faculty Futures Lab. I'm DJ Hopkins. I'm a professor at San Diego State University. And this is the start of the fourth semester in a row in which I have messaged my students with words to the effect of, well, it looks like we're in for another weird semester. And this time around, COVID in higher ed doesn't seem quite as much fun as it used to be. I've been a very good sport over the last 21 months or 22 months or whatever it's been. I mean, I was pretty freaked out the first times I went to the grocery store after we retreated from campus when I was convinced things couldn't possibly get any worse. But I got my act together. I really only felt cabin fever once or twice, and just for an hour or so. In June of 2021, do you remember June when the pandemic was over? Well, back in June, I relaxed. I met people. I even hugged a couple people. And then in August, I was such a good sport all over again when it came to masked face-to-face teaching. Then I went hybrid with my classes so that six students didn't have to come to class and other students could still access their education. It was a whole thing. You remember. I was fine with it. But now it's 2022. Omicron is taking its time going away. And let me tell you, I'm super over it. I'm not talking occasional bouts of cabin fever once in a while. I'm feeling low-key claustrophobic. A lot. After nearly two years of sneering at the people gathering and dining and whining about their masks, I'm just about ready to join the party. And I want to know why. And I also want to know, am I the only one who feels this way? And most important, I want to know, what am I going to do about it? And that's why we're here. I've invited four of my most insightful and witty colleagues to this podcast and They're going to talk about what faculty are feeling right now and what we might actually be able to do about it. So I am joined by Lacey Barber. Welcome, Lacey. Hi, TJ. Lacey teaches organizational psychology and researches stress and well-being in organizations at San Diego State University. We're also joined by Mike Borgstrom. Hi, Mike. Hey, DJ. Mike is a professor of English and Comparative Literature at San Diego State, where he also directs the Center for Teaching and Learning. Joanna Brooks is SDSU's Associate Vice President for Faculty Advancement, and she's one of the founders of Faculty Futures Lab. Thanks for being here, Joanna. Happy to be here, DJ. And making her debut on Faculty Futures Lab, Paula Peter. Hi, DJ. Paula is a professor of consumer behavior, marketing communications, and product innovation management, also here at San Diego State. And Paula, I'll turn to you first, since you kind of started this whole conversation with a post on a Facebook group for SDSU faculty with children. You posted, quite simply, hi, how is everyone doing? And that question really brought out all my feelings. So I want to ask you, Paula, what was your impulse in posing this deceptively simple question right now? Thank you, DJ, for 
this question and this opportunity. Um, I think where my question comes from is from this feeling of, of right now having everybody in silence mode and um, the feeling also of wanting to be part of something bigger and to connect and relieve that sense of hope and optimism that it seems to be gone. Honestly, force, mm-hmm. you said, like you mentioned, is, is our fourth semester yeah. online. And every time we think, okay, this is going to be the last one. And then we go back, not to where we were before, but at least we are going to be face-to-face and adopt our pedagogies and, and improve. But right now, I think the feeling is, is this ever going to be over? Um, yeah. And for me, it was very important to um, connect, try to connect with people so I don't feel alone. So I, I did this for yeah. myself as well mm-hmm. uh, in terms of seeing how people are doing because we are, I, I feel, losing a little bit the sense of community and community yeah. can provide comfort and is very important during these times. Oh, yeah. I absolutely recognize everything you just said. And also, whenever we feel like, here we go again, it isn't really ever the same. It's always slightly different. And for me, at least, that's also frequently throwing me off. Mike, you are the director of the Center for Teaching and Learning, and that puts you in contact with a lot of faculty on our campus. Does what Paula just said seem familiar to you? Does it scale to more than just Paula and me? Absolutely. I think I think the primary challenge we're facing both in the fall and acutely right now is exactly that kind of silence mode that Paula was referring to. Like, how can it be relieved? How might we find some kind of sense of solace or comfort? And I, I really think, DJ, that this is the primary issue that our colleagues are facing right now, like this need for connection, even though mm-hmm. that is incredibly difficult to define. Um, yeah. Many of our colleagues are still navigating, like, what does it mean to even engage with other people? And in the fall, in particular, I saw people reaching out and then retreating, reaching out and then retreating because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we are operating and have been operating underneath a kind of near constant risk assessment mode. And that has made figuring out how to move forward incredibly challenging, but doesn't alleviate that that really pressing need that Paula that Paula mentions. Yeah, constant risk assessment and the elusive need for solace. Lacey, you're a dab hand at Faculty Futures Lab podcasts. Are you feeling this too? You're you're a psychology professional. Are are you feeling anxiety based on a constant need for risk assessment and a lack of solace? Oh, no, DJ. I don't talk about my own feelings. I'm a psychologist. (laughs) I only talk about other people's feelings. Mm -hmm. I know that. I understand. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, Yeah. I mean, as someone who studies these things, it's a a little bit meta to have all these Mm -hmm. feelings yourself, but um, at least I have labels for them. <laughs> I know the right. words for them, and I do know, you know, some so, some things. So I actually wanted to build from Paula's comments first. I mean, right in psychology, like this is classic like hope theory issues we're having right now. Like this idea of hope, 
Uh It's such a powerful, positive emotion for people. And when you have hope, there's like two kind of aspects that kind of keep people going. And that's kind of having a pathway to success. Can I see what success looks like and where I can achieve my goals? Um, People aren't feeling that right now. We we feel like we're in the cycle, right? (laughs) And so it's hard to have that pathway aspect that keeps us going with hope. And the other one Mm -hmm. is agency, feeling control and ability to take that pathway. When we do see a pathway, can we jump on it? Right. And I think that's been the struggle right now with that part, I would say. And then I also want to build from what Mike was talking about on this risk assessment aspect. Um, You know, we have kind of two things going on there. One is just change fatigue. People are tired. Mm. Um, And so change fatigue happens when you're constantly in this hypervigilance. I've got to learn a new thing. I've got to do a new thing. We need to feel like to cope with that. We need to feel like there's some prioritization, some impact to what we're doing. And it's hard to feel like you have an impact when things keep shifting under you like sand, right? right. And so right. I think that that's the other key part of that. And plus building this community and trust, um, trusting that if we do keep putting forth these efforts and doing things, is someone going to reward us? for it? Are they going to see us? Are they going to recognize our efforts? Because what our successes look like right now don't always look like traditional metrics of success. And I think we want to feel like people want to feel like leaders are going to appreciate that. Want to respond to that, Mike? Yes. I I want to reiterate what Lacey's saying from um, the, the kinds of things I've been hearing from our colleagues across the university, which is Speaking directly to the issue of agency, much of what folks want is just fundamentally less. They don't want less work, but they want more explicitly meaningful work, meaning that more is not necessarily better. They have a really clear sense of this. Uh, particularly right now, for many of the folks I've talked to, like they, they just want to be able to focus on their teaching and they want to focus on the research. The, the primary reasons that many of us entered the academy in the first place. And so in that respect, I think the pandemic has helped to clarify some of our, our fundamental priorities. Um, it's reacquainted us in many ways with some of the key values that ideally should structure the core elements of higher education. Lacey's comments about agency translate in really interesting and complicated ways to many of the folks I've been talking to saying, like, yes, I want agency. And part of that agency means I want to do more meaningful work, return to core values, and just focus on my own stuff. Joanna, I'd love to bring you into this conversation. You've got a 40,000 foot view of the faculty on our campus, but also you were one of the first people to respond on Facebook to Paula's post and you put a a Muppets meme of Fozzie Bear doing a head plant on his desk. It's almost as if academic administrators have feelings. What are you trying to say? That's a rumor. That's a rumor. (laughs) Yeah. And so many thoughts. And and the first thing is that, you know, we have colleagues in the room with us, we hope, who will be listening to this. And I just want to take every opportunity to say to them, put your own oxygen mask on first right now. If you have small children who are being bounced out of preschool every 10 minutes because of Omicron, do not worry about RTP. We'll cover you. 
Do Mm. not overachieve. If your kids are sick and you legit can't do Zoom teaching, call in sick. This is all okay. Um, And so I feel like my first responsibility from 40,000 feet is to say, please recenter. Let's just do the basics and take care of ourselves because people are very stressed. I mean, I have a lot of analyses we can get into or not. But, you know, just to the question, DJ, of what shifted, this one hit me harder too. You know, mm-hmm. before the first wave and then Delta, it was like, okay, problem, science, vaccination, intervention, fix. And Solution. this is different. And it's, yeah. it's trickier because staying home, we're not staying home because people who are vaccinated will die necessarily. I mean, there is still a death rate. We're staying home because the way Omicron works, it gets people who are together sick so fast, it shuts down the operation. Those are two different schema. And kind of thinking through how to respond to those within the context of a university has been a big but unarticulated shift for those of us who are trying to figure out how to keep the lights on. Right. If I can build from that, I I do feel like this is echoed in what Paul had said too. I felt like in this early stage, people really felt like we were all in this together. It was like this war effort mentality. And again, going back to hope, because you think this is the short-term thing that we have to get through. And we know what the enemy looks like, right? And we know mm-hmm. what we're fighting for. And then that's gotten slippery over the past couple of years on right. when is it going to be over? Right. When, what does this look like? And I, and I want to mention the positive side that it's also made us see our colleagues more and see other people's vulnerabilities more. And, mm. um, and yes. I think that that's a positive thing that we're seeing more right. individual differences and in needs and what people, what people's circumstances are. And that's a positive thing for us to actually see each other for the first time in that community. But we also are struggling with how do we make sure we do support each other and still coordinate our efforts to be there for each other and to do our important and meaningful work, as Mike brought up, and trying to navigate these, this tension is so challenging right now. I agree. There's things that I've taken for granted that the pandemic has forced me to examine, and that's caused discomfort at times. But also, for one thing, I'm a better, more compassionate teacher than I ever was before. As I look to the future, I think about what are the ways in which I'm going to thrive coming out of these pandemic days? What are the things I'm going to learn from these pandemic days? Now, the irony is back in June, when I thought the pandemic was over, my kids and I made a time capsule and we sealed the time capsule in June of 2021. That is beautiful. On the assumption that the pandemic was over and it was all done. But the time capsule in many ways uh, encapsulates what I'm really want to remember about this and learn from, because there really are some things personally that I have found rewarding and satisfying, even about, especially about the shelter in place days. But back to academics, there are a number of adaptations I really want to hold on to. 
in the before times, I never wanted to teach online. I'm, I'm a theater professor. I teach theater history and theater is live. And I was naively, arrogantly set on teaching live performance via live performance. And then we all went online and I discovered I actually, there are a lot of things about teaching online that I really like. And now I'm doing my university's course development institute and I plan on teaching online regularly in the future. It's made me a better professor because it has forced me to look at things and reevaluate things that uh, I took for granted and didn't really factor compassion into my teaching. And now I just find it unavoidable. It's an essential teaching tool. And Mike, I was talking about you with Lacey earlier, and we agreed that your superpower is compassion. So I'd like to give the last question to you. What do faculty need our institutions to learn from these COVID years as we look to the future? Wow, that that is a that's a big question, and it's it's the million dollar question. Um, I have a couple of ideas. Uh, I, I think what I'd say overall is that I think we need to probably devote efforts to institutional support that anticipates and responds to needs mm. before the fact, like. Often we operate in really quite reactive modes, and I'd like to see a little bit more proactivity in terms of the ways in which institutions think about how they can support faculty so that faculty then can support students. So one thing I would say, DJ, is that we really need concentrated and dedicated forms and focuses on wellness. We need to think uh -huh. really carefully about what wellness means within an institutional setting. And in my mind, this stretches in multiple directions, certainly in terms of emotional and mental health concerns. But we might also think about wellness in terms of process. Like, how can we streamline things and make things better for people so that they can focus on their work and focus on their students? So part of what I have seen happen is that we've had these constant shifts and they've sort of exposed aspects of academic culture that perhaps do not serve faculty well, or they at least need to be rethought. Um, yeah. Two examples in this regard. One might be course evaluations. One of the things that I have heard repeatedly from our colleagues is that their, their course evaluations have reflected shifts in tone that have edged into the personal and often oh, yeah. into the real outright cruel. And so mm -hmm. we probably need to rethink what we're doing with course evaluations, how they are designed, and what we want to use them for. Like, do we really think that this is a fundamental integral part of tenure and promotion to look at a graph of quantitative figures as a measure of one's worth? Ooh, a classroom? lot of nodding heads. For those of you who are only in the listening <laughs> audience, I see my colleagues. Yes, yes, yes. yes and science yes. shows, sidebar, the data isn't good data period. It is mm -hmm. shot through with implicit bias. Just read the studies, read the peer-reviewed studies. Okay, back to you, Mike. Yeah, the only other thing I would say is that like, <laughs> and, and this is a particularly sort of loose and flabby one, I, I will say that in, in advance, but I think that we need to advocate for some kind of system of shared professional ethics. We have made it really clear how accountable we are to one another and how responsible we are or should be to one another and to our intellectual communities. 
So this is sort of the dark side of what Lacey was saying earlier. Like I have seen a lot of fractures that have come up by virtue of the pandemic and that these divisions manifest in often really less than collegial behavior um, without Mm -hmm. the benefit of in-person measures that can mitigate that. So we probably need to figure out how we can learn from this kind of situation and cut down on unnecessary cruelty that has circulated through listservs, for instance, when people have the benefit of being at home and typing away without recognizing that they are still professionally accountable to those that make up their intellectual and professional communities. So I don't know if this if this shades into the kinds of activities that we might look to institutions supporting and advocating for in the future, but I sure think it would be a welcome addition to at least think in these directions. Lacey. Oh, I have to add, you know, this is something that um, is near and dear to my heart as an organizational psychologist and everything Mike just said, I like to summarize as humane resource management. (laughs) So Mm. we talk about human resource management and all these systems and things to help manage people, but like humane, like there's people in these systems and what do we do to support people? And so Mike brought in, um, you know, one of, one of my things too, is like the, you know, instructors deserve humane feedback. Um, the, the course evaluation process as it is in academia is nowhere near what it is in in other organizations when you have what we would call 360 degree feedback, where you might get feedback from supervisors or um, followers, people working under you, customers, you know, there's a lot of different sources where feedback can come from. None of it is fully anonymous in term might be confidential. Um, mm-hmm. And you should protect that. But, um, you know, I think this, the anonymity is, is not serving well, and um, it shouldn't, Feedback shouldn't be done by people who aren't trained to give proper feedback. Oh, there's training involved in this. I've helped with training. Um, it's called, and the best training we have is frame of reference training. Here are examples. Here's what good feedback looks like. Here's what bad feedback looks like. Um, constructive versus destructive feedback, and there are also consequences for you as a feedback administrator or provider if you provide destructive feedback. You shouldn't get to do that. And so I think that that's something, you know, we have to work on in a, in a number of, of areas, but definitely in course evals. Wait a minute, newsflash, Lacey, my job yes. as a peer reviewer is not to gut someone like a fish, really? No, no. Oh, shoot. <laughs> oh, so yeah, you're a, reviewer number two. Yeah, reviewer number Yay! two. <laughs> no. I don't. Yeah, I mean, I, I started de-anonymizing myself in peer reviews a long time ago and saying, yeah. if you'd like to hear more, contact me directly, period. But anyway, not to sidebar. Go ahead. Wow. And it is, but, but, it, but you, you hit on that. It's developmental feedback. I mean, that's what, what, what feedback is supposed to be for. It's to develop people. It's to, to go back to what we were talking. It's to provide a hope pathway, you know, and that, mm-hmm. you know, that this is how you can improve or something that you can help. And so, you know, that's one side of it. And the other side is, you know, policies that actually support people. Um, in, in psychology, we talk about this idea of, of challenges versus hindrances. What are these aspects of the environment that, that keep you motivated and, you know, that you want to do more versus are just hindering? And you know what the classic hindrance we talk about is? Red tape and bureaucracy. Hmm. 
And so this is just what Mike was talking about on this inefficiency. What, what is getting in the way of our meaningful work? Can we rethink on how to get the same information for the same outcomes with less red tape? Can, can we build academic administrative systems that provide hope pathways to connection and solace these valued, if still somewhat nebulous concepts? Yeah. And especially now, and I think that's what Mike was saying, it's really solidified the meaningful aspects of our work and, and our aspirations of why we why are we doing what we're doing in research and teaching. And the best thing we can do is to help people do that. And instead, I think people feel overloaded with administrative minutia and pedantic, um, you know, I don't know, like all these pedantic rules for things. Um, I've actually thought about that, DJ, since you mentioned on, you know, I felt like my teaching has, on having some things together, some not, like I feel like I've struggled with my research more than teaching because I see more of the positive teaching pathways. Whereas research, I'm actually excited to do the research. I love reading, I love writing, I love data analysis. But these days, the the thought of going through the peer review process um, to get my work <laughs> in an obscure journal, it it kills my soul. To right be read now. by fifteen. To be read by fifteen people versus Joanna is like, hey, Lacey, could you come talk to a bunch of faculty about literally the same thing that I did research right. on? And I'm all pumped about it and excited because right. I'm making connections with people. I'm sharing research. I'm, that I'm doing. And um, I feel like it's actually having an impact on my colleagues. Um, and it's hard to see that pathway again on take, you know, going through a two to three year review process yeah. to get my right. work out there. And, um, and I know that's not something institutions can always fix at the university, but um, anyway, and that's just a, a heads up on journal editors. and But it's um, a great example about how we're looking for connection mm-hmm. and we're looking for that opportunity to, to, to feel something at a time when so many of our professional pathways are scrambled, I feel at least. I mean, that's why I'm doing a podcast instead of working on my book project, because this was an opportunity to get in a Zoom room and have a conversation and to connect with people and at least help articulate problems, if not, in fact, uh, take a few steps towards solving some. Yeah. And and to to link this with our other discussion and to go back to a personal level, so I will will share that. I think if in a a year or two, or three, um, when you, you know, think about if I'm going up for full professor or something like that, I think that, you know, you, you kind of know at this point that you're, for me, my traditional metrics look good so far because the bottom's about to fall out in a couple of years. Cause people, um, you know, things that have been coming out the past couple of years in the pandemic, I mean, heck, that's what I was working on two or three years prior that's coming out. And so I think, again, go, going to that trust, like we want to trust that people understand that our CVs and our records are going to look very different on a five-year, maybe even a 10-year span, because we have been reevaluating and trying to find that that hope and meaning and that impact 
in a little bit of a different way than is traditionally measured in this process. And I think wanting to, I think what, what leaders can do for us is signal that that's going to be valued and signal that, that we're going to see you in that meaningful work in that mix. Um, that's what I'm hearing from other colleagues too. Um, they, that they know that we pivoted and you put all your, your efforts into better teaching and look at that teaching and weigh that a little bit more than some of the research efforts or that that research, uh, will look a little bit different. Thank you, Lacey. I know that Joanna and I and others have looked at our campus's policies on uh, productivity and have really put pressure on language that implies that your research output should be smooth and continuous and uninterrupted throughout your entire career. Not everybody's life works like that. (laughs) Thank you, Paula. We're we're all working. Thank you. If I can editorial barge in here, the criteria are set by the faculty. So, you know, worrying about leaders valuing, I get it. Mm-hmm. Faculty committees set the criteria. And what I see over and over again is that there are fractures, huge gaps within academic units between different parties. And some of this is generational. And those are the tough conversations we probably mm-hmm. need to have. We can't do everything with task forces. You know, you, we need to have the difficult conversations in our academic units that it is no longer okay to apply standards from X years ago to work today. It is no longer okay for a million reasons. Maybe, maybe we could start holding each other accountable to Mike's point. You know, where do faculty hold each other accountable and do the things that are within faculty's power to do to save their own workplaces to improve them? I mean, we're here. I mean, I promise whatever can be done from this area will do. But there's some stuff I got to ask for folks who are in the trenches to stand up for themselves and stand up to other people. Thank you. Thank you all. I'd like to take this opportunity to thank as I go around my Zoom screen, Joanna and Mike and Paula and Lacey for joining us today for this conversation. I'm going to have some links to some helpful sites at our university, as well as links to my guest bios in the show notes. So click through for those. Thank you all so much for joining this conversation today. Thank you, DJ. Thank you, everybody. Hang in there, everyone out there. Thanks, DJ. Thank you, DJ. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks.